Have I told you lately that I love you? Maybe it's just the Advent season, but uh, again, just to be able to gather with our great God, to look at our incredible church, uh, the concert we had Friday night here with Andrew Peterson, the place was packed. It was an amazing night. Boy, do I love Orangewood, because I know that God smiles upon us, and what a privilege it is to worship him in this Advent season. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look at a couple of passages this morning. We're going to look at Luke 1. We're also going to be in Matthew 3 and at a couple other places, but uh, those passages will be primary. They're also going to be listed for you in your bulletin. As we continue uh, this Advent series, we're looking at Christmas in reverse. We are kind of reversing things, kind of remember why he came. Uh, today we'll be looking actually at his baptism, which is the beginning of his earthly ministry and some of the necessary things for uh, Jesus to come and to seek and to save the lost. That is us because he amazingly loves us. Well, this Advent season has been a walk through the valley of the shadow of death for me. I mean, this Advent season, I lost my beloved mom on uh, uh, December 2nd. And on the 9th, I had a memorial service for her here. Uh, on that same day, a dear family friend of ours, a, a, young ma, a young wife, I should say, of 24 years old, lost her battle, her eight-year battle with cancer. Um, just on that day, I had to, this week, uh, go up to upstate New York and had the privilege of being a part of that funeral and, and uh, that graveside. And by the way, the graveside, I've never been so cold in my life. Uh, there was snow on the ground, uh, very cold, but the gospel was very warm. And, and we, we mourned, but we celebrated. But again, it just kind of like, oh, because Christmas is the celebration of a birth. And yet, we realize that the birth of God's son, Jesus, our savior, he was born to die. That Jesus' birth was to be the death of death. Jesus was born to die so that, well, we all know that we all will die, but that one day, today even, life and life abundantly would reign. Through his life, through his death, and through his resurrection, Jesus can say, I'm going to put an end to this. It's not fully over yet, but I'm going to triumph over it. So this Advent season, what we've been doing, we're doing this uh, Christmas in reverse. And we want to begin with the end in mind. And beginning with the end in mind is the reality that Jesus did come to die. He was born to die. But why did Jesus, God's eternal son, put on flesh and dwell among us? Why did he have to come and rescue us? Well, it's interesting, even the uh, angel Gabriel will tell us a hint of who this Jesus is and what his mission is with his name. He says, you shall call his name Jesus. Why? Because that name in itself means savior. He will save his people from their sins. So really the reason he came was a rescue mission. The reason Jesus came to earth, the reason God put on flesh was for you and me, for the lost and for us to have a relationship with him. That's what he did. He came to seek and to save the lost. Well, we'll begin with the end in mind. And we come with the reality that that's why he began uh, his life. We need to not only look to the cross and the empty tomb, but also the way he lived his life for us. The only way that, listen, the only way that Jesus could save us, his people from their sins, was to die in our place. To come and to absorb the Father's wrath. To be resurrected from the dead. That we can know that, that our greatest enemy, God's greatest enemy, has been defeated. So on our backward journey to Bethlehem, 
and Jesus's birth, what we're trying to do is try to examine, well, what were the things that were necessary for this to work? If Jesus came on a mission to seek and to save the lost, what are the things that were necessary for that to make it effectual? How do we know that he secured that? What was necessary about Jesus's nature? What was it about him that would make this successful? What about his life that had to be for him to be able to rescue us? What about his death? What about his resurrection? Last week, we looked at Luke chapter 19, verse 10. This one verse, that says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That Son of Man is so important. One of the components that was necessary is that Jesus had to be like us, fully human. Why? Because we looked at last week, Jesus had to do two really important things. He had to relate to us. I love it the way the writer of Hebrews says this, that he was made like us in every way so that he could sympathize with us, so he could know our weakness. But more than that, so that he could die a sacrifice death for us. Christmas is a celebration that God loves us and he relates to us because he became one of us. But last week we looked at it was more than just relates to us. Jesus had to come and represent us. As a, according to the Bible, as man got us into this mess, this mess of brokenness, this mess of sin and death, man would have to be the one that can get us out of it. It's interesting, the Bible says that all of us are represented by what the Bible describes as two Adams. That first Adam that was in the garden rebelled and all of his sin and guilt are ours. But the second Adam, this Jesus came and his, his righteousness in life is ours. Now, again, that's last week's sermon. If you missed it, let me encourage you to to go back and maybe listen to that to say, what's that component of Jesus' humanity? It's so important because for all of us in all of eternity, God sees us either in Adam, guilty and in sin, or in Christ and set free. But to rescue us, Jesus had to be more than just fully man. And the mystery of this incarnate God veiled in flesh is that he is fully God, too. We sing, Jesus, Son of Man. Jesus, Son of God. Son of Man, Son of God. This morning we're going to examine why did Jesus have to be fully God? Why in him in flesh did the fullness of deity have to dwell? We're going to look at two things. And the first thing is this. Only the Son of God, only God's Son can absorb the Father's wrath for our sins. Only God could do it. Uh, and the second thing is, only the Son of God could dispense the love of God, the Father, for sinners like us. So let's look to God's Word. We're going to see, again, Luke uh, chapter 1. Uh, it's a part of this great gospel narrative, this great Advent narrative. I'm going to read verses 26 through 35. And then we're going to go back to Jesus' baptism, the beginning of his public ministry, and read Matthew three thirteen through 17. But no matter where we are in God's word, let's be mindful. This is God's very word. He gave this to us to transform us, to remind us of how he loves us, not just to entertain us. So of all the things we do in our worship service, this is going to be the most exact, the most perfect, because we're going to look to God's holy word. Would you lean in as I read aloud? Would you read along with me silently? Now let's be mindful that God is speaking to us through his word. Hear the word of the Lord, Luke 1, beginning in verse 26. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. 
But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Now let's turn to Matthew. Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 13. This is his baptism. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you. Would you come to me? But Jesus answered him, let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when he was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Oh, Father God, we thank you for the way you love sinners like us, that you would send to us your beloved son in whom you are well pleased. Oh, Holy Spirit, would you come and join your people? Would you be pleased to speak through a broken sinner like me? And God, may we all in this place See the beauty and the reality of your beloved son and what he has done for us. Oh God, give us ears to hear your voice, Father. Give us minds to understand your word. Would you give us hearts that would embrace your truth and your love? And would you give us feet to walk in a manner of that name that is above every name, the name of Jesus? And Father God, the things that I say that are wrong are merely my opinion. May those things be forgotten and fall away quickly. But the things that are said that are true and contain this incredible good news of the gospel, would you use those things to make us more like your beloved son, our Savior Jesus? And it's in his holy and matchless name that we pray. Amen. If you want to follow along with me in your bulletin, you'll find an outline. Again, we're just looking at two things this morning. There was only the Son of God. Jesus, as the Son of God, can absorb the Father's wrath for our sins. The reality of Christmas and the reality of God coming, as we see, is that Jesus was born to die. But we might ask the question, but why did Jesus have to die? Again, we hear it. Okay, he's born to die, but why? Well, according to scripture, according to God's story, death is actually the result of something. Death is the consequence for our sins. Death came because of our sin and rebellion. Because we sin, because we're sinners, we die. Matter of fact, scripture says, the soul that sinneth shall die. 
It reminds us that the wages of sin is death. And so to defeat death, Jesus had to deal with both the cause of death, sin, as well as the reality of death. He's born to die. So here's what he's got to do. He's got to, he's got to defeat the cause of it, which is sin and rebellion, and also to defeat the reality of, of, of death as well. He had to do two things for that to be a reality. The first thing he had to do was live a righteous life. Uh, God is a holy God and his requirements is that we obey. So for him to be effective as a savior, to, for him to be effective to seek and to save us, he had to come and live a life we failed to do it. Scripture says that no matter how nice we might think we are, or no matter how much better we are than our neighbors, that all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's standard. There's not one of us who's not sinless. And Jesus had to come as that spotless lamb of God. He had to come and do that which the father required of us and live a righteous life without sin. I love it. What the writer of Hebrews says is that Jesus, he was made like us in every way. He's our brother. He sympathizes with us. I love it. It says that he's not ashamed to call us brother. He's not ashamed to put on flesh and come walk with us. He, he loves us, but there's something unique about this one. Like us, he has been tempted in every way, yet he's without sin. He truly is that spotless lamb of God. So for for death to be defeated, for sin to be crushed, he had to be righteous. The second thing he had to do is die an atoning death. He had to die as a substitute, as as if you will, like in the Old Testament, they would provide a lamb to be slaughtered uh, for the sins of the people or, or bulls or different things. There was a substitute saying, God, I know I deserve to die because I'm a sinner. Would you accept this substitute? It's interesting, you get to the New Testament, it says all those, all those animals, they just pointed to the one who would work. And that was Jesus, that he would die in our place. Well, why is this all necessary? It's kind of gruesome. And why is this all necessary? Why, why is this all this talk about sin and death? And you'll never understand it. The story will be just foreign to you until you under better understand the very nature of God. The God who is this living God. And scripture says that he is a holy God. That there's no shadow of turning with him. He's spotless and beautiful. As a matter of fact, the book of Habakkuk says that, that he is so holy that he can't even gaze on sin. And it's in God's holiness and perfection. And that reality of his being and his nature, that he just cannot tolerate even the littlest of sins. But it's not just his holy nature that we need to examine. It's God's love and mercy. Because you have, and it's incredible, God, you have on one side this holiness, this beauty, this spotlessness, this radiance, this glory. And also in him equally is this love and this mercy for us. And it's in this love and mercy for us that he would provide for us a savior to conquer sin. You see, God's holiness causes God's wrath to burn against sin. It has to. It's his nature. Now, a lot of times people think, well, yeah, God's merciful. He is. And God's forgiving. He is. But you have to understand because he is holy and he is just There is not one, there has never been, there will never be one, even the smallest of what we say, little white lies or little sins or little picadellos, that he doesn't have a wrath that burns over. It's the truth of our God. We got to hold intention 
And in beauty, this holy reverence of God, this mercy and love of God, only met in Christ Jesus. You have to realize that our brokenness and depravity, God's wrath, according to scripture, burns because of that reality. So for us to be saved, that that wrath has to be dealt with. Does that make sense? I mean, that that wrath has has to be appeased. God, to love us and to to move toward us and to call us his own, he has to deal with this this sin problem. He's got to deal with this, this wrath problem for sin. And so therefore, he would send his son. And his son had to be fully God. Now watch this, because only God, only God could absorb the wrath of God for our salvation to be effectual. You know, it's interesting. On the cross, Jesus is going to, it says that God took him, uh, Jesus, who knew no sin, to become our sin. What this means is your sin, past, present, future, my sin, past, present, future, all of his people's sin, that he actually would become our sin. So how much wrath is going to be poured out on his son for all of his people's sins? No mere man could have stood that for a nanosecond. Only Jesus as fully God could absorb the Father's wrath for us. You see, the infinite penalty that our sins deserve, the infinite penalty our sins deserve was absorbed by our Savior, Jesus, as the Son of God. Only he could bear all of that. You see, I think sometimes, I know for me, and I bet you you like this, is that we don't really see sin as that big a deal. We have a tendency to minimize it. We have a tendency to, to lift up our own righteousness. We have a tendency to say, we're not really that bad. But I think when we start doing that, we miss the character of the holiness of God. And only when we can come to grips with that do we realize that only Jesus could have borne that wrath. You see, it was on the cross that he would bear our sin and shame, that he would cry out. And it's the only time in scripture that Jesus would not talk to his father as father. And that moment when the wrath was being poured upon him on the cross, Jesus would cry out. And it's interesting, he's quoting Psalm 22. He would cry out and say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at that moment, he was absorbing the wrath of the Father poured upon him for our sins. This is a beautiful story if you know the reality that they're your sins that he was bearing the price for. But only God could absorb the wrath of the Father for you and me. One of the heroes of the Old Testament, he really just pointed to Jesus because the whole story of the Bible has one ultimate hero, his name's Jesus. And everybody else is just a shadow of what was to come. But there's this king, the most righteous king in the Old Testament, his name's David. And David is described, and how would you like to be described this way? As a man after God's own heart. Isn't that awesome? A man after God's own heart. And he was amazing. He was a musician. He was a poet. He was a warrior. He took on giants. I mean, in God's name with great confidence. Uh, he was a great ruler. But David was a complete mess. A guy who really would make a mess of his life. And I don't know about you, but there's something about me that likes the fact that God shows us people like David who have hearts after God who make messes of their life. And maybe because I can relate to them and say, oh my goodness, God truly does love sinners. 
But he made a mess of his life because on one night in a lust-filled haze, when he should have been at war, he's gazing out over his kingdom and he sees a woman who's bathing that's not his wife. And although there's a lot of roadblocks that were put up in front of him, that's not yours, David, that's not yours. It's, a, it's another man's wife. In that lust-filled haze, he took that woman and committed adultery. And when his adultery couldn't be covered up because she was pregnant and her husband was off to war, David would scheme. And this man after God's own heart would scheme so much that he would have this husband killed. And really, Scripture wants to make sure that, David, you're the one who did this, man. And this is, this is, this is the man after God's own heart. This is the one who in a lust-filled haze will commit adultery and then try to cover it up with murder. It's interesting, uh, David had a true friend. A true friend speaks the truth and love to you. A true friend named Nathan, he was also a prophet. And he came to David and David's heart was hard and he was, he was kind of, sin was giving him a lack of ability to see reality. So Nathan told him a pretty cool parable, a little story about a man that was sinful and, and uh, David gets upset about the story and, and Nathan says, well, King David, man, Story's about you, bro. You've committed a terrible sin. And David, by the grace of the Holy Spirit, starts to repent, and it's beautiful. And he starts to confess, and it's amazing. Matter of fact, there's two Psalms that will give you a little detail of that. Psalm 51 and Psalm 34, uh, 32 um, will tell you about that repentance. It's kind of interesting. He's crying out to God. He says, created me a clean heart. And listen, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. And, and I've sinned. And here's what he says. It's really, really interesting. He says, against you and you alone have I sinned. You might say, what? Wait a minute. Wait a minute. What about Bathsheba? This poor girl, this innocent girl. What about, her? What about Uriah the Hittite that you killed? Did you not sin against him? Well, of course. But when it comes to the reality of the holiness of God, he realized his guilt before a holy God. He realized that reality that he would look up and said, oh my, against you and you alone have I sinned. Have you ever come to the point in your life where you've realized the holiness of God and the, and the heinousness of your sin and you could come to God and say, against you, against you I've rebelled. My lustful heart, it's against you. My hateful heart, it's against you. It's more than just my neighbor. My pride, my materialism, my ego, it's against you. You see, when we understand that reality that our sin is against a holy God and, and the death is a result of our sin, we see the beauty of Jesus and the necessity that he had to be the son of God to deal with the wrath that our sin deserves. But there's a second thing. Only the Son of God could dispense the Father's love to sinners. They say that the way to a man's heart is through his stomach. Were that shallow, right? What's the matter with us? Is it not true sometimes? Um, but the way to the Father's heart. What's the way to the Father's heart? It's Jesus, isn't it? I mean, Jesus would say, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. There's no other way to the Father's love. There's no other way to the Father's heart. There's no other way to a relationship except through me. 
You see, it's in Christ Jesus, in his life, in his death, in his resurrection, that all the love and the blessings of the Father flow to us. It's why Paul will write in, first, in Ephesians 1, 3, that all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly realms, all the blessings, all the love are ours in Christ Jesus. The only way that we find the Father's affection, the only way we know of the Father's love, the only way that we are adopted in and brought into the family is through his only begotten, obedient son. And you have this beautiful account in baptism where Jesus is being baptized and his public ministry is taking shape and the father can no longer remain silent and he cries out from heaven. He says, this is my beloved son and in whom I am well pleased. And it's this pleasure that he has for the son he gives to us. Now, I just need to spend a second here and say that, that Jesus did not become his son there at baptism, that Jesus always has been the Father's Son, John 1, 1, is going to tell us that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that this Word was made flesh and dwelt among us and created all things, that He's forever been the Son in relationship with the Father. It's amazing. We see this baptism. We can see this account of the Father's love. And as a matter of fact, Paul will write in Romans 1 that He is declared with power to be the Son through the resurrection. So throughout scripture, we see that eternally, Jesus is the son of the father, the beloved son of the father in which God is well pleased. And the only way for you and me to know of a father's love, God, the father's love is through God, the son. It's interesting what John three thirty six says, whoever believes in the son has eternal life. And whoever does not believe the Son shall not see life. But listen to this. But the wrath of God remains on him. So in Christ Jesus, we have life and life abundantly. We have the Father's pleasure. But without Christ Jesus, we have death and guilt. And the wrath of God remains upon us. You've heard me said many times that I just, I love the Apostle Peter. Can relate to this guy usually the first to, uh, to speak, the last to think, the first to jump, the first to sink. I mean, this is Peter. And Peter uh, spent a night, uh, he was getting to know Jesus. He spent a night fishing. That's what he did. Uh, it, was a, it was a fruitless night. They didn't catch a darn thing. And he's cleaning up his nets and, you know, kind of bummed out that there's nothing uh, that he caught all night long, this experienced fisherman. And Jesus is going to come and he's going to say at the wrong time of day, hey, why don't you let down your net for another take? For a little, little fishing tip, you know, Peter's like, I'm the fisherman, you're the carpenter, but okay, we'll throw over the net. And there's such a huge haul of fish that it says that his partner boat comes over and they're about ready to sink because there's that many fish and the net is being torn. And what is being torn is the reality of really the veil is being torn and taken away of who Jesus really is. And Peter's realizing that this is no ordinary man. And he looks at Jesus and says, depart from me. Depart from me. Why? I'm a sinful man. And Jesus is going to say, far from depart from me. He's going to say, forget that, Peter. Follow me. Follow me. And Peter's going to leave the biggest catch he ever had. He's going to leave his identity. He's going to leave his profession. He's going to leave uh, the, the biggest bounty he's ever had to follow Jesus. 
And he follows Jesus, and it's, it's a beautiful story. He's, he's there, he's, he's wrestling with him. And when Jesus is going to ask, who do people say I am? When he turns and he says, but who do you say I am? Peter's the one who hits out of the park. He says, Jesus, you are the Christ, which means the anointed one, the Messiah. You are, watch this, you are the son of the living God. And Jesus says, oh, Peter, man, that's so blessed. You didn't get this on your own. This came from the Father. And as soon as he realized who Jesus was as, as God's beloved son, the Messiah, Jesus starts telling him why he came. He says, listen, we're going to go to Jerusalem and the religious people, they're, I'm going to be arrested and they're going to kill me. But on the third day, I'll raise again from the dead. And Peter, who just said to Jesus, you're the Messiah, he pulls him aside and he rebukes him. He said, come on, Jesus, you're God's son, you're Messiah, you don't die. Jesus says, Peter, man, Satan, get behind me. When I say follow me, you follow me. Because where we're going is the Father's heart. And where we're going to go is for you to know that you're beloved and you're forgiven and free. And the only way that you're going to know you're loved by the Father, the only way you're going to know you're forgiven and free, the only way this is going to happen is that I'm going to go to Jerusalem and, and, and I'm going to hang on a cross and God's going to take me, his beloved lamb of God, and, and he's going to pour wrath upon me for your sin, Peter, for your denial. So that in me, Peter, you could become the righteousness of God. The only way for that to be happened, the only way for Peter, for us to know the love of the Father is through the beloved Son, Jesus, God's Son for us. The Apostle Paul, we're going to close with this. The Apostle Paul himself gives us a bit of a Advent look. It's different. You know, Luke gives us the most detail of Advent. The Gospel of Matthew gives us more. Uh, Mark begins with his, uh, Jesus' baptism. Uh, John begins within the beginning is the word. It sounds a lot like Genesis. Uh, but when you get to, to Paul in Philippians 2, you're going to hear him describe Advent season. There's going to be no angels. There's going to be no ox and manger. But I want you to see, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians 2. I'm going to stick, pick up in verse 6 through 11. That this Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the very form of God, fully God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped or held onto, but he emptied himself. By taking the form of a servant, by being born in the likeness of man and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Therefore, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So the name of Jesus Christ, every knee should bow and in heaven and on earth and in under, under earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What an incredible, beautiful passage. Jesus, though being the very nature of God, would humble himself and empty himself. And God would put on flesh and come and dwell with us. And he'd become obedient even to the point of death. That servant, even death on the cross. That name that was given to him in the beginning, that name Jesus for saving his people from their sins. Now because of the reality he's dead, he's raised him up. He's given him that name. 
the name that is above every name, Jesus, the Son of Man, Jesus, the Son of God, would die so that we could live. And the only way for that death to be effectual is for him to be fully man, fully God, so that we could be fully his. We're going to come to the table and we're going to remind ourselves of the reality of Jesus, son of man, who came to seek and to save the lost, son of God. We're going to remind ourselves of the the consequence, the, the payment that he was willing to make. That as man, he represented us and as God, he absorbed God's wrath for us. And through that reality and that miracle, we can be saved. Let us pray. Now, Father God, we thank you for the incredible love that you have for sinners. That you would give us your beloved son. And Jesus, the love you would have for us, that you're not ashamed to call us brothers. Not only that, you're not ashamed to take on our flesh and humanity, to be like us in every way, to live the life we failed to live, to die the death we deserve to die. Why? So we could be yours. So we could be loved. So that we could be forgiven and free and given the gift of this Holy Spirit. Oh, Father God, thank you for your incredible gospel plan to come and to rescue sinners like us. For that to be a reality, Jesus, son of man, son of God, so that we could be called the children of God. Come and remind us of that reality at this table. Meet us again here, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.